Hello everyone, welcome. It's the Media Beat, of course, with Maureen and Claire. We're on to episode uh, 29 and we are forging on today. As ever, lots to get through. And as ever, I welcome my colleague from Arthur D. Little, the world's oldest and probably finest management consultancy business. Uh, Maureen is the head partner in the media practice globally with Arthur D. Little. Hello, Maureen. Hello, Oliver. And Claire Tavernier is her friend and colleague, and I think now becoming my friend and colleague. I certainly like to think so. And she is actually encouraging signs from the video cam, uh, I'm uh, glad to say. Uh, and uh, as we know, she has been in the industry uh, a lot longer than she looks like she might have been. She's held a number of uh, senior exec positions in a variety of media companies. She's a commentator. She's now a consultant, freelance, does a bit of everything. It's always a pleasure to welcome her. Hello, Claire. Hi, Oliver, and of course, we're now friends and colleagues. Okay, so that's on tape. Uh, so uh, I don't have that many friends. So it's nice to have some uh, probably legally binding, almost contractual, uh, uh, almost contractual words. Thank you so much, Claire. So let's uh, let's crack on. So um, what we wanted to talk about today is something we haven't touched on much. A little bit here and there. We've talked about music. Um, one of our passions actually between us and AI. So the influence that AI is having on music, um, potentially both in terms of production, of course, which makes all the headlines, but also all the way down the value chain. So we thought we'd do a deeper dive into AI and music. Um, we mentioned the Spotify AI DJ a few weeks ago. I've tried it out. It's pretty good, actually, not too irritating. But then again, is it a good thing to say something is not too irritating? Is that damped by faint praise or damned by faint praise? Perhaps it is, but it did put together some music which I recognised and some I didn't, which I quite liked. So I guess that's what it was supposed to do. Um, Claire, this is probably something it's good to start with uh, you uh, on. Where are we? Uh, in the music industry, with particular reference to AI at the moment? Yeah, well, I think, okay, I've already said yes, well, as I always do, the, now that you've told me, Oliver, I can't unhear it. <laughs> I think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, before we dive into music and AI, I think it would be uh, worth spending a few minutes just on the economics of the music industry as a whole and how they have changed, and then we can... Uh, spend a bit of time thinking about how AI might amplify some of these changes or, or indeed transform it yet again. The music industry, I mean, we us of a certain age remember the times where, you know, there were physical music uh, things that you would buy and then play in a physical music player of some kind. If we are really old, we remember taping songs on tapes from the radio and these sort of things. But of course, this has all changed. Nobody has, very few people have physical uh, music devices anymore and the music music consumption has moved online primarily through Spotify which is a very dominant player in the music streaming business not the only player but a very dominant one there is also Apple Music, Amazon Music YouTube is a very big place uh, for people to listen to music uh, but that means from uh, terms of Spotify, Apple Music and Amazon Music that again and this is a theme that we've we've touched upon a lot in our in our podcast we are moving from a system where you pay and then you see and the more you pay the more you see or the more you see the more you pay to a model where you pay a subscription every month and then you can see or hear in this case listen to as many things as you want and that's changing the business model quite dramatically uh, because if you think about it if you buy a let's say rolling stones record and then you listen to the same song 
a thousand times because it's the best song in the world. It doesn't cost more to produce that record. It's, you know, the cost uh, to the musician, to the production company, to the label is still the same. And you've paid once for this music, so you're allowed to play it as much as you can, as you want. If you uh, pay the same amount, but then listen to a thousand different songs, then the amount of money that you've paid at the beginning is going to have to be split between a thousand people rather than one. And that's a very, very different model. Um, so what's happening is that streaming revenues are very low for artists uh, in similar ways, actually, to what's happening with the writers in Hollywood, where you know they used to perhaps not being paid that much at the beginning, but then there was there was a lot of payoff coming up at the end. There, there's less than that. The the payout of Spotify is low because the money coming in from the subscription is not that much, and then it gets divided per stream. So every stream gets a payment. And again, you know, if you if you pay, you can pay ten pounds a month for Spotify and listen to five songs, and you can pay ten pounds a month for Spotify and listen to five million songs, and it you know it doesn't change the money that comes into Spotify. Spotify takes thirty percent of that money and then and then sends it sends a payment per stream to the music labels that who then if this is if an artist is signed to a label who then will take another chunk of that money and then where it ends up going to the artist per stream is in the range of about three, 0.03 cents per song, per stream, which is not a lot. I mean, it's, it helps if you have a lot of streams, but if you are a mid-sized artist, it's really small. So what's happened is uh, musicians have moved on and they've developed new streaming, new revenue streams, such as obviously live, live concerts uh, and licensing. So having your song in a, in a TV show, for instance, or a movie can be a really great way you get paid because the people pay a license fee to, to use your music. And then of course that also gives, uh, gives some, some, um, uh, visibility to your song. And then they are also doing merchandising licensing and actually Spotify is trying to make it easier for people to sell their merchandise through their platform. So they're trying to make, to make that easier. Uh, but all of these revenue streams are getting hit. One, I mean, the live live revenues have really struggled. Obviously, the pandemic stopped everything, and now it's starting again. But a lot of the smaller venues have closed down. It's much harder to put together things. A lot of quite a few big festival companies, for instance, have gone bankrupt. It's it's hard. Uh, and then, so what's happening right now is the labels, who actually, you know, were sort of in a relatively cozy relationship with Spotify over the years have started to say, listen, this isn't working. We need to review the payments because the, the whole the economy, the economics of music don't make sense anymore. And one of the things that they've said, and this is our friend Robert Kinsel, uh, uh, who's just joined Warner Music Group, he said uh, it's not normal that it should be the same payment for an Ed Sheeran song as it is for somebody listens to, listening to rain falling, which is something you can listen to on Spotify, and a lot of people do. And there should be some sort of premium model where premium music gets paid more to, to, to reflect the, the, the way the industry works. Now, this is actually slightly hypocritical because labels are already getting a slightly bigger share uh, of revenues than, than other sources of music on Spotify, but it, it's a fair point. And so this is all happening in the music industry. There's, there's, there's an inquiry right now by the British government to make sure that payments to musicians are fair. Uh, and then on top of this whole thing, 
AI is coming in. And AI can be used, as you've indicated, uh, Oliver, in many, many ways. And I'm going to hand over to Maureen now to talk a little bit more about uh, AI and, and the music industry with this, after this little introduction. <laughs> Thanks, Claire. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, that was a really helpful understanding of the economics of music. So um, we keep sort of forgetting about where it's come from and where it where it's landed. And the influence continue continues to remain with the uh, the labels, the big labels. So AI. So 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 we've been looking at AI for, for and the use of AI in music in the music industry for, for some time. So it's not it's not it didn't just happen because you know ChatGPT and or uh, the democratization of AI happened. Um, we've seen AI in music for for, for a short while now. Um, Sony Labs. Sony Labs um, has really hit on this, let's say, concept of stylistic approximation. Um, and you can see that as being possibly um, for the good. Um, and certainly one of their songs that they have created in this sort of stylistic approximation was uh, one of the Beatles songs. And it was 100 percent piece of music. So you can see the sort of the positive side of, 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 of AI. There's also sound processing. Um, and there's also, let's say, noise reduction that, that AI is, is being used. There's a famous and a fantastic small business that has started up called Isotope that's really helping the industry to, to apply this technology to, to really clean out the noise elements and sound processing. So from a, so from a workflow perspective, from a creation through to distribution uh, of music, I think it effectively is uh, is for the good. Um, we've seen, I think, you know, adoption of virtual artists, and I think in the backdrop of that is very much, you know, how we're familiarising ourselves with avatars through the metaverse. Um, so, artistic virtual artists uh, is 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 a, is a fascinating area too. So, put all that to one side. Put all that to one side. Um, there is still some, 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 let's say, unfortunate circumstances uh, that are arising uh, where payments are not going in the right direction. And there's a whole raft of infringements that's been taken, taking place. As we all know, if we do know, um, uh, tracks that are copied um, are not protected in law. So there's no precedent yet uh, for the protection of uh, the voice. So a singer's voice. Um, there's no this protection. Is if somebody puts, creates a song with Taylor Swift's voice through AI that it, isn't from Taylor exactly, Swift. exactly, exactly. So the so the idea is, you know, uh, you can actually take um, a person's voice, uh, a famous singer, like it did happen, Drake, um, and uh, an anonymous, um, what they call ghostwriter, um, pantomime one of his songs. Uh, Drake and the Weekend, and it was uh, Heart on My Sleeve, and put it through its uh, its machine uh, for cloning. And what came out at the other end was an interesting, you know, interpretation of of Drake. Now, there's nothing wrong there legally um, because of the lack of copyright and the lack of a legal framework at this stage. So, of course, all the labels now are sort of seriously thinking about what can they do to protect the artists and the artists' uh, music. Um, now, it would appear that the artist's voice, style, flow, 
is not protected at all. The only thing you can start to protect is possibly the reputation of the artist, as you can do with the reputation of an actor. So a legal framework is starting to come to the fore. Everyone's debating this, everyone's looking at this, and very much driven by, uh, by, by, by the labels. Now, there is one thing that's taking place at the moment, and that is um, the National Music of Publishers is actually currently suing uh, Twitter uh, for violations uh, across its platform for, for copyright. And it looks like they're trying to, to take, and they're representing about 17 labels, and they are trying to claim something like $150,000 per violation. Um, and up until that point where certain pieces of music that are infringing upon copyright that piece of music needs to be taken down off that platform. So all of the platforms from YouTube to Twitter, uh, TikTok are all looking at this very, very carefully. But as we said at, at the top of this sort of section, um, I think there's some really good opportunities as well. And AI is being deployed. The technologies underpinning AI are being deployed to the benefit of the industry. Um, and I think some really interesting companies are starting up um, to, 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 to work alongside the likes of a SoundCloud or to work alongside a Sony, or indeed Sony has its own lab now as well. So I think it's all fascinating area. And I think once we get a sort of a, a really interesting legal framework in place, you know, a lot of these innovations will take place alongside that. And I'm, and I'm glad for that, because I really want to see some really interesting startups coming to the fore and really expanding uh, the, uh, the ecology of the music industry. And of course, AI was responsible, for instance, to help Peter Jackson uh, clean up the soundtrack of Get Back, the, the the Beatles documentary, and make sure that you could listen to it and watch it as if it had been made yesterday. And so in terms of, you know, going back to the master recordings of, of classic songs and, and cleaning them up and making, there's, there's, there are all, and, and in terms of discovery, of discovery of new music, which is a big issue right now, all of this uh, AI can be tremendously helpful for. But there are some really strong concerns, and I, if I was a famous, if I was a famous actor, actor, um, singer, uh, or musician, I would be very concerned about the potential for fraud, for you know, copyright infringement, and um, just people using my voice for things that I haven't approved. But at the moment, you, it, it, no one's breaking any laws because your voice is not copyright uh, copyrighted. That's the issue at the moment. Yeah. And that's always been the case for years, yeah. And the style and the flow as well. I'm, I'm, I'm astonished as well, so the style and the flow. So I can, a human person can write a song, I can write a Drake song, I can put it through this software that clones the voice, and then it comes out as a different song and a new and original piece of work that I, I, I own. So I'll ask a question that every, everybody asks these days. Um, uh about creativity uh having, as someone who understands a little bit about how ai works i i, I always think that it's it, it can only work with what you've given it so it understands it understands what rock and roll is and it can you know mimic the voice of uh um whoever it is hillary clinton and make a rock and roll uh song out of that but maureen i'll ask this question to you particularly um that spark of creativity which creates something like hip-hop or punk or even bossa nova or whatever I'm not sure that can ever be um, synthetically generated because AI by its very nature, and it's actually mathematics at its very heart, AI by its very nature is, is actually not creative in the, in, in, the, in the sense that we humans understand it. It is merely coming up with the best answer of the question you give it 
based on the training data you fed into it. So do you think, Maureen, that, you know, a, a whole new genre of music will suddenly come out of the AI machine? Or do you think that's really not in the nature of how it works? Well, Drake's song, you know, Heart on My Sleeve, was interpreted by a whole bunch of people as a, a pantomime version of, and that's one side of, uh, of, of of the fence here. And the other side of the fence, it was, this is fantastic, this is original, this is this is democratising, you know, uh, the way of using technology, and came up with a, a really interesting version of Heart on My Sleeve. So... I, uh, which camp do you fall into and how do you interpret what is creativity? Um, you know, I, I like the idea that you can tinker with, uh, different oils and paints. And I like the idea of, of layering, you know, certain stencils over pieces of work. I like, you know, representing an image that I have in my head in different media. Um, how's that not any different from, you know, voice uh, voice and, and use of technology to create a different type of, of sound. So, um, so I think all of that, all of it is creativity. All of mm. it is, uh, is part of the music, the music. Is it, is it, is it a different genre? I don't, I don't know if it's a different genre. I just think it's a, it's a new expression of, uh, of sound. But, um, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to Claire. What do you think? Do you think that's a new genre? Should it be classified as genre or should it be just be a mode of, of sound? I mean, it, I also think we need to differentiate between AI creating something completely on its own, you know, the robots take over, or uh, an AI being prompted by a human to create something, which in itself is a form of creativity, a human-driven creativity. So, you know, to go back to your example, uh, Oliver, maybe a human decides that actually what would be really interesting is to try to create a sort of new genre that is a hybrid between bossa nova and hip hop. Maybe this already exists, I don't know. Uh, but then they could use AI to sort of tinker with it and try to find the, 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 the thing that might sound the best, taking the elements of bossa nova and the elements of the hip hop. All of it is already in the AI machine. So I think as a creativity tool, it can be used very, very um, effectively. I think in terms of generating completely new things, I mean, this is what Alex Kodok was saying when we were talking to him, you know, uh, AI could write a thousand new episodes of Friends, but he may not come up with the new sitcom that, that hasn't been thought through yet. And maybe that's, that's, the, that's an image to keep in mind. Yet is the important word here. Yeah, it was like uh, the machine can say, oh, this is something that Joey might say, but it can't actually create the character of, of Joey necessarily. Um, I get both of those uh, things that you've, you've said, they're both really um, absolutely spot on. And uh, oh, it's exciting times, particularly for nerds like me who like music and, um, and numbers. Uh, great insight. Um, we'll come back to that. We will no doubt have a guest as well at some point who is um, a particular music expert as well. So uh, I look forward to that. One more point on music, which is music. The creation of music has always leveraged new technology. Always, always from the beginning of, you know, with the creation of the piano forte, all the way to, you know, the, the, the Beatles playing around with new instruments and sound or trying to play a, a track the, the other way around to see how it sounds. Music and technology have been, have been working together and uh, for, for uh, since the beginning of time, so I think it's you know it's going to be a very interesting development, but it's not 
from that perspective, it's not new. Yeah, it's a good point. The electric guitar was invented, and some people were thinking, this is the death of music, this is outrageous. The drum machine was invented, we'll never have a decent drummer again, and uh, people still go back to the analogue. It's lovely seeing live music when you can actually see the mistakes as well, <laughs> which is, makes it more of a human experience. Thank you very much. We have to uh, move on, uh, and of course, we know what happens next. It's in the news. Okay, we're going to start off with box office numbers. Uh, Maureen, I'm going to come to you. A few things happening at the box office with regards to how much money is rolling in through the tills. Uh, the Flash, uh, I don't know. I think it seemed to do quite well. Uh, Pixar has some interesting numbers. Elemental is out, etc. Um, sequels generally. Uh, what's going on and what's your take, Maureen? Oh, yes, yeah, so box office numbers. So, um, well, regrettably, actually, when you do uh, apply a slide rule over the numbers for the opening weekend for The Flash, uh, Ezra Miller's um, uh, fine piece of work uh, that he he was unable to market uh, for, for, for a variety of reasons. I think he just wasn't around and he was in some sort of institution, if I understood correctly, uh, which probably was a dampener for the marketing team. And perhaps because of that situation, uh, not many people turned up. At the uh, at the cinemas over the weekend, so it only managed to gross around fifty five million dollars. Uh, and on the face of it, you kind of think, well, that doesn't sound too bad, does it? But when you compare that to say Super Mario's opening, Super Mario's two uh, across the Easter weekend um, back in April, uh, that managed to gross something like one hundred seventy, so or one hundred forty, and then one hundred seventy um, internationally. So when you compare numbers it's not a pretty picture especially when we did hear uh, James Gunn and David Zaslov saying this is probably one of the best superhero movies that we have made that anyone has made um, and I think the expectation was that it would hit le at least sort of 70 70 80 million in that first opening weekend um, so maybe there is something there that there is a sort of fatigue uh, circling the, uh, especially the, uh, uh, the, 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 the sort of the movies around comics, uh, perhaps. Um, but suffice to say that, 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 that is, that is what it is. Uh, but, uh, Pixar, Pixar continues on its decline as well in terms of numbers. Elemental didn't do well at all. If you thought that 55 million for an opening weekend was bad, they didn't even reach 30 million. So, um, pretty, Pretty disastrous for them, and it continues in this sort of stream of uh, not very good uh, results. Um, so, so, so. But that said, on the rating side, uh, on the score side, um, uh, Pixar's uh, film did get an A score from the super critics, uh, whereas uh, uh, Flash only got B. So perhaps this is just a slow burning. People will start to, you know, turn up at the cinema. But we don't know. We don't know that. Um, this may actually not be a, a great uh, second quarter for for either Warner or indeed Disney. So uh, sadly, there are some probably structural or some more fundamental questions uh, that are uh, that are residing underneath this, uh, this set of data. The studio maybe uh, are a bit concerned about um, about the. I mean, certainly people will be looking at the flash numbers and be a bit worried because the studios have a, a summer of sequels. This, this summer is all about you know follow up to big brands and uh, reboots, etc. But it's worth thinking when we think about superheroes that both Guardians of the Galaxy three 
and Spider-Man, Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse, uh, have done relatively well, have definitely done better than The Flash. And The Flash, as you pointed out, uh, has had a troubled history uh, in terms certainly of, of its marketing and its its main star. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. The, 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 the box office numbers have, have varied dramatically across, across the globe. France, weirdly, had a really, really good first half of 2023. It was up uh, by, by over 30% compared to last year, and it's sort of almost back to the levels of pre-pandemic. But in the UK, uh, we're not quite there yet. Uh, and uh, the, partly France, France's numbers have been bolstered by French films. And they've had a lot of French films that had been delayed that have just all come in, Three Musketeers and various other like French blockbusters. Uh, and we haven't really had that in the UK, but the numbers in the UK are still slow. So we're, we're coming into a summer of a sort of traditional Hollywood summer. I think Indiana Jones is coming out. Uh, there's a bunch of big, you know, uh, Fast and Furious is that what's coming out? There's, there's a bunch of big, big budget movies that are all lined up. So the relative failure of Flash and of Elemental will have people slightly worried. Thankfully, previous releases uh, were more positive. So it will be very interesting to see where we end up. Yeah, and added to that, Claire, I, I don't actually think it's anything to do with cinema and theatre audiences, because I think the slate of films uh, this year have been absolutely staggeringly good in numbers and in quality as well. I think it's more the case of, I think this is a structural problem to do with, you know, people fatigued about uh, comic book type film. Um, and I think also added to the fact that not only is there competition for these films for, for eyeballs, uh, there's also a couple of uh, certainly major programs or, or, or films have been dropped on Netflix. I think one of them was Extraction 2, which is Chris Hemsworth. And, you know, and I think that probably didn't help uh, in terms of people wanting to stay at home and watch Netflix as opposed to go to go to the cinema. So you're absolutely right. There's a whole uh, lot of Mission Impossible. You've got Barbie. As you said, you've got Indiana Jones. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to see Indiana Jones. Um, and uh, uh, so, so I reckon we probably will see significant, you know, uptick across the summer and into third quarter. Uh, but it's just these DC or, you know, sort of comic book type films that have taken sort of 15 years toll on us all. I think there may be some 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 questions around those um, uh, that we need to watch. I had no idea Barbie was coming out. Goodness me, that's one to watch. Uh, watch out for. Completely aimed at my demographic, no doubt. Um, thank you very much. That's, uh, How did that's you fascinating. miss that? It's going to be amazing. I'm so excited I know. about Barbie. It's my I know. What's the matter with me? I'm excited about it. I'm genuinely <laughs> excited. I think it's going to be brilliant. It's a Greta Gerwig movie. Just to see her alive. It's just like a miracle. Uh, so that's good. I suppose there must be a law of diminishing returns about sequels out there somehow that um, fits to some mathematical formula, not always. Um, we better move on. Um, Claire, we'll, we'll um, come to you about, um, uh, yes, Spotify. Uh, not only have they laid off 2% of their staff, is it 2% of their staff? They've also laid off uh, the Duke and Duchess, um, uh, which was uh, the, the thing that caught the eye in the press. Um, is this all about um, big content investment, Claire? Yeah, this is about Spotify trying a Netflix model of buying very expensive content for their podcast strategy and not quite managing to make it work. It doesn't mean they won't ever make it work, but they haven't made it work yet in terms of numbers. And that's this is, you know, the numbers being they need to sell advertising around this podcast. It's beyond the, 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 the um, subscription model. Um, 
there's been a lot of coverage on the British press around the Harry and Meghan, uh, not helped by Bill Simmons, who is, um, I don't know what his title is at, at Spotify, but he, he was aqua hired uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he's a pretty controversial uh, blogger and uh, podcaster in the US, and he made some disparaging content comments around Harry and Meghan. I think it's it's not so much about them as people. I think that their podcast did okay in terms of numbers. It was just that, as with a lot of this big content investment, the price was probably too high, uh, and they can't afford it anymore. And it will be the, the big question for Spotify is: Is there an advertiser-supported podcast model that is, in fact, sustainable long term? And I think they were. They're still hoping that there is one, but they have been struggling to put it in place, especially on a global level. I understand that things are going quite well in the US or certainly well in the US in terms of um, podcast advertising, but it's it's one thing to have a one big advertising market making it happen and then to make it happen in all the markets where Spotify is, which is the same sort of issues that, Net, that we've talked about again around Netflix and their ventures into, into advertising. So I they are laying off 2% of their staff. They are cutting some big uh, content deals, uh, in, including poor Harry and Meghan, but not only. And uh, I think they're just looking at the numbers across the board and trying to to find paths to profitability. Um, yeah, we're still, we're still making a very small profit. Did I work this out right? If it's 0.03 cents per stream, a million streams is just 300 bucks, which... Um, Shows why we have we haven't yeah, made uh, we haven't made a lot of money. I think, it is. I think yeah. something like that. It's not very, yeah. But however, they haven't thrown us off the platform, so you can still uh, hear uh, the media beat with Maureen and Claire on Spotify and all good platforms. Please like and subscribe. They'll never silence us. Um, Maureen, uh, time to move on. Yes, <laughs> sit to attention um, for the for the uh, audio record. Uh, live sports. What's been going on there in the news? Oh yes, yeah, so so live sports in in the through the lens of streaming. Uh, there's there's a lot of activity and there's a big pickup. So if you start to sort of uh, look at some of the numbers, year-on-year um, uh, -year numbers, we're seeing live streaming of sports take the NBA, so that's the National Basketball Association's big final. That was like 200% up year-on-year. -year. Um, there's also, uh, uh, as we know, we're in the tennis season, um, and there we're seeing extraordinarily good growth quite sort of exponential growth and people watching live sports live tennis uh take Roland Garris uh now we've got Cinch which is at the Queen's um then there'll be Wimbledon but Amazon in particular has got the rights to the ATP uh tennis and they are seeing um very good rise in number of streaming I think also at the same time Amazon's fixed some of the sort of issues, technical issues uh, that it encountered in the last couple of years. So uh, uh, that's 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 also uh, really positive for them. Uh, and then also Netflix, Netflix, who's Netflix that said, uh, we do not want to get into sports because sports is not profitable. However, that said, we would like to get into live sports because we think it's a really good thing. And, and of course, they were outbid by ESPN last year for the Formula One. Uh, live streaming um, and instead they're trying their best hand at trying to figure out a way of re-entering Formula One. They love Formula One and instead they're doing a celebrity golf uh, golf series of uh, games and they will have Formula One drivers or sorry they, that will be 
aired next to Formula One being streamed live. So they're doing some really some funny things going going on over at Netflix. Um, but Netflix, I think, is really leading the charge at trying desperately to move from their uh, reality drama, like Breakpoint, um, Drive to Survive, uh, to, to, to ultimately will start bid start their bidding war for, for live sports um, going forward. So I think it's fascinating. But the one thing I did find fascinating was where are people watching this? Uh, and they're not watching it on their mobiles, which everybody had predicted. They're not watching it on their iPads. They are watching it on the big, large screen. So I found that fascinating that what's dominating the, the audience uh, mode of viewer viewing is on the big telly. So good for telly. Good for telly, I'd say. Uh, and also, it's interesting that, I mean, I wonder whether, um, one, one wonders whether the writing, writer strike is also influencing um, Netflix's push into live sports, because if they're thinking they may not have any content next year, they might be thinking that sports might fill some of their, some of their grids. Yeah, I think that's a smart contingency plan. But they have, uh, yeah, they have been uh, certainly sharpening their pencils for the next round of bids, I think, yeah. I guess it's not that surprising. Sport by its very nature is a is a big event, isn't it? And it's great to see on the on the on the big screens, which are relatively cheap these days. Thanks, Maureen. That was great. Um, what is Claire? What is Can Lions? Can Lions is an annual event, conference slash award ceremony that takes place in Cannes in France, as the name uh, um, as the name suggests. And it's it's the advertising Oscars essentially. So every year, the best uh, campaign for outdoor advertising, the best ad, TV ad, best uh, social media campaign gets gets awarded. And this year, indeed, there was a whole list of winners that I have already forgotten. But it's worth going because it, it, some of these ads are, are are indeed very impressive. I mean, British Airways won something this year. Anyway, you can go out and look them up online. Uh, but the but alongside the awards, uh, there are a, a lot of um, conferences and talks about the advertising industry, and it's always interesting to see what people will talk about. And this year, surprise, surprise, they're talking about AI. Not everybody. A few of the commentators have said, is, is AI the same as the metaverse? Because last year they were all talking about the metaverse, and this year it's all gone away. But uh, there's a sort of sense that no, this is this is this is bigger, and there's a lot of talk about AI in generative AI, especially in terms of uh, what it might be used for for advertising and some very obvious content creation, uh, copywriting, but also what we were talking about. It's inspire creative thinking and also analyze analyze data, uh, and then finally, as we've discussed as well generate images with with the with this whole idea that you can create completely new people you don't actually have to pay for models uh although some of them may have six fingers but that's a detail uh, so that was a obviously a very very big theme um the tiktok uh advertising which we've talked a little bit about is also very present uh, a lot of discussion around what that might mean how to use it it's all still very much emerging, but TikTok is emerging uh, as a big as a big advertising platform. Pinterest as well, surprisingly, not surprisingly, but Pinterest has always been a sort of slow burn of social media, and it's uh, it's definitely having its moment. Uh, and then uh, we're talking a lot about big tech still. You know how to work with Microsoft, Apple, what's their place in the ecosystem, Google, etc. So those were key, some of the key the key themes that have emerged from Can Lions. That's great stuff. 
Okay, when is it? Now. It's sort of now. Thank you. <laughs> it's now. It's this week. Just no, this is June. June. It's June. It's June. It's, it's not in June. It's on now. It's on now. It's in June. It's Good. now. It's now. Uh, Actually, if you'd said six months ago, it would have uh, belied the fact that uh, we're calling this in the news. Uh, that was the final story. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, Maury. Informative as ever. That was in the news. Which can only mean we've got to move on now to lightning fast as uh, as uh, Tempest Fugit, um, as people who learned Latin pointlessly in the 1970s uh, will know. Lightning fast. We have a few here which are going to be fun. Uh, even some props. I don't want to, um, I want to give any spoilers, but maybe there's some props going along which I will uh, try and describe or uh, uh, Claire and Maureen will. So let's start with Claire. Claire. Uh, first one is the Netflix yes. pop-up restaurant concept. Yes, Netflix is opening a pop-up restaurant in Los Angeles, uh, opening at the end of this month for uh, a short time. And it will feature creations from chefs featured on show available on the streaming service, including Chef's Table, Iron Chef, Is It Cake and Drinks Masters? I've never heard of any of these programs, but it's probably more because I don't watch cooking programs. Uh, but the, it's a, I mean, it feels a bit like a gimmick. I don't think they're expecting this to be a huge revenue generator going forward, but it's a really, it's a nice little way of promoting their, certainly their food content. And and it's it's worked because it's been covered extensively um, in the media. So I'm sure people will be very happy with, with the way it's been received, but we'll see. We'll see what the food looks like. I'm going to go with the little... Uh, Eating, eating, eating. Yeah, forgot about the emoji. <laughs> that doesn't matter. The rules of the competition are, are, are secondary to the uh, to the uh, <laughs> proliferation of information from you. Uh, thanks, Claire. Mm -hmm. Maureen. Oh, I love it. Was that the thing when you go? So, for the record, Maureen is tapping her head. It's lovely. Ah, okay. It's very coordinated. Coordinated. Rubby tummy. Yeah. Smart. Smart idea and yummy, yummy tummy. Uh, diversification. This is this is a new way of immersive, immersive, uh, interactive, participative telly. There we go. Yeah, that was nicely put. So, oh, a clever idea, head. Lovely for the tummy, tummy. And you coordinated really well because that's not actually that easy. So that must mean you're, I don't know, it's not, really, really it's clever not. or something. Let's um, just say something nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay moving on let's go back to claire so yes we can't really ignore uh that great italian presence uh, that great italian sexist presence uh silvio bolasconi uh his demise this week uh in terms of emoticon claire yeah i'm going with the uh italian emoticon that yeah i will let you um i will let you describe mm. The, the chin brushing thing. Anyway, uh, Silvio Berlusconi will be best remembered, obviously, as a politician. But he, before he was a politician, he was a media mogul. And he very much, he revolutionized the Italian TV uh, landscape. He, he created the first, you know, in, in the early, eight, late, uh, mid-80s, mid I think, early to mid-80s, he, he created the first cable channels or private channels rather and he at some point i think controlled 90 percent of the television landscape in italy and he uh he also invested in france i remember uh he you know the the famous uh channel five when it was launched in the uk was very much a sort of copy of some of his uh 
some of his programs in in Italy, and he he is you know opened the door to a lot of the television we're watching today. So he he will have perhaps a lasting um, a longer lasting influence. I, will he have a longer lasting influence in media than in politics? Probably not, because I think he also heralded the beginning of Trumps and all of these sort of people. But he certainly had a big impact on European media. Thank you, Maureen. Oh, yeah. No, oh, here we go. And the props are out. Uh, <laughs> Spectacle-based, as usual, but uh, excellent. Sort of very sophisticated. And that nodding thing that Mussolini used to do, like, uh, yes, it's me. <laughs> very El Duce, uh, Maureen. You pulled that off beautifully. Uh, I, I don't know. Is there anything more to say? No. Shaking head. That was magnificent, though. You look like uh, every inch the Italian uh, plutocrat. Uh, let's move on. Uh, it's Maureen this time. What is this about Twitter refusing to pay their bills to Google for their cloud services? Outrageous, Maureen. So the arbitration administrator in the US have given us a long list of things that uh, Elon Musk refuses to pay. One of them is his Google Cloud uh, uh, accounts, which he, uh, he should be paying, otherwise no one's going to be able to uh, play with Twitter. So there's that. There's also uh, the fact that he's refused to pay his PR firm um, to the tune of, I think, 800000 to help. That was to help him buy Twitter. So he refuses to pay that organization. Uh, and then although he has paid down his debt, which is about $13 billion, 13 billion that he used in order to uh, as a loan in order to pay, pay uh, pay for Twitter. He has paid two quarters so far, so everyone's beady eyes are looking to see whether or not he will pay 300 million in September. So, I mean, no one understands. I mean, this man is worth 200 and something billion, uh, up 100 billion, according to Bloomberg, this year. So, why he's not paying these little petty cash kind of stuff. He's also going to be kicked out of his own building in Boulder. So, uh, we, we, uh, so Linda. Linda, you know, shut the door, turn the lights off and go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that is weird. I mean, perhaps he's trying to make a point. Who knows? I don't know. Uh, what a nutcase. Oh, quickly. Oh, sorry, Claire, you need to emote. You need to emote. <laughs> I'm going to sound emote. That's my new uh, oh, that's such a nice sound buzzer. emoji. Yeah, that's a that's not yeah it is isn't it uh it's not great not to pay your bills it's well, i mean it's not like google need the money but it's uh yeah it's another another is it's it another nail in the twitter coffin i'm not sure it's really annoying as someone who runs big programs and if people don't pay you get into trouble and you can't have the end of case celebration it's very very annoying i had one of those recently but we got the money eventually and had a nice steak let's just move on to the final one then um ah yes maureen hbo max price hike i don't know what the detail is but it doesn't sound like it's something that's getting positive emoticon from you oh well no and the the, the They've only recently launched, you know, as we know, in Europe. And so they have put a price increase up to the tune of between $1 and, you know, up to $9.99 across Europe. So all the different markets have their different price ranges from $1, one euro, I should say, to to say 7 or 9 uh, which is which is extraordinary. And their defense for price rises is very much in content costs and production. So, ooh, price rises are not good for us at this time. But yeah, I was quite surprised. I was quite surprised that HBO 
uh, were already thinking of price increases. But Salavi, Salavi. Yeah. And it's at a time where people are looking at all their subs across the, I just did this, and it's the ridiculous amount of money we're spending. And yet we moan about the BBC licence fee in the UK, which is just over 100 quid, for what we get for that. And then we're just spending out money on platforms, you know, $10 here, $20 there. Um, it's uh, it's an interesting one for us consumers. OK, we're there. That's it. We've made it through again. Uh, tons of stuff came out today. I really enjoyed today. Thank you um, so much for all the um, um, for all the the cool info and analysis, of course, which is what people tune in for. Uh, tuning in in ever increasing numbers, I might add, according to the stats, which is fantastic. Uh, like and subscribe, even comment as well. We like positive comments mostly, but actually, if you've got any comments about what things we could do better, we're always willing to listen and ignore those. No, I'm joking. Obviously, listen and uh, take them on board because we like to know what our listeners like. Uh, it only remains, therefore, for me to say, Maureen, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Likewise, thank you. And what a lovely smile. And also, Claire, thank you again, as ever. We'll see you on the next one in a couple of weeks' time. For now, goodbye. <laughs>